This is the Mobile Tech Podcast, brought to you by worldpodcasts.com. Now here's your host, tech girl, Miriam Joie. Brought to you by Audible. Stay tuned for a special offer at the end of the show. Hi, and welcome to the Mobile Tech Podcast. I'm your host, Miriam Joie, and today is Thursday, May 20th, 2021, and my guest is the awesome Max Weinbach. Hi, Max. How are you? I'm doing well. How are you? I'm great. So we have a lot to cover today. A lot was announced this week. It was a kind of a crazy week between Google I.O. and the new Mac stuff and iPad stuff. I don't know, there's a bunch of cool stuff that you and I have gotten our hands on. And so I want to talk about those things. Let's start with I.O. What are your thoughts? And like overall as a recap, and then let's dig into some of these details. So I think so far I.O. has probably been the biggest I.O. in recent history, probably since they announced like the Google Home. Okay. I think that it's probably been the biggest one. Like Material U is huge. The new Android stuff is massive. Wear OS, it's all just really, really big. and I'm so far really excited to actually see this stuff hit products outside of just betas yeah i honestly felt like it was starting a little slow you know not not that it ever starts fast i mean google io is always a little it's a developer conference first of all and i've been a developer in video games for years before i was a journalist so i i get it but it's always seems to take a little while to get exciting and and even though the ai stuff they showed was pretty cool in the beginning i kind of kept thinking in the back of my head you know it's like you know we're getting closer and closer to skynet as a joke in my head i mean you know it's it's just like ai all the things and i get that they're doing that and why they're doing that and personally i feel very strongly that a lot of google's ai work has resulted in great products for me you know so i'm happy about it and, and i'm aware of the privacy issues and i you know try to take care of that the best i can i just hope other people know what they're doing you know when they agree on the little button on their phone. But it also does bring up in the back of my head the whole thing around, you know, AI and ethics and what's happened with the people that they fired and stuff. Like, I'm just a little, I'm still a little bit confused and worried about where AI is headed in in the tech world and not just Google in the sense that, you know, I'm not seeing the best practices yet being applied. So that's why it felt like Skynet is coming. But then kind of switched tone a bit. And I felt that I started started seeing some things that to me as a you know mobile technology reporter were more interesting. As you said, Android 12, Wear OS. I think that one to me, if I have to pick one thing from Google I.O. this year, that is the thing. I also felt like there were a few moments that made me giggle, like the car key thing. You know, I'm not even going to bring that up again. And I'd love to hear your thoughts if you have some, but it's like, I have owned a Tesla for three years now and my phone is my key, whether it's an Android phone or an iPhone. And it's worked reliably for that three years. And I don't even have to push a start button. I sit in the car, put my phone on the brake, put it in drive and go. It's kind of hilarious to me that here we are three years later and the industry is like, ooh, look at us. We're doing cool stuff with cars and keys and phones. And then, of course, there was Project Starline, which seems to require a lot of custom hardware, but is really interesting. And then the the last thing I want us to talk about really briefly is going to be the the camera improvements to the machine learning computational photography stuff Google's done around skin tone for people of color. I think... 
I don't think you and I are in a position to really discuss this because we're not people of color, but I do want to yeah. mention it in the context that me and Anubong discussed it and he was telling me how his friend really prefers the Galaxy phones because of the way they treat black skin. And I thought that was really fascinating that, you know, this is still an issue today in 2021. And so, you know, here we are, they're, they're dealing with that. So these are all the topics and I'm kind of curious, which one sticks out the most for you? For me, it's Wear OS for sure. Uh, from IO, it's basically Wear OS. But um, the thing about car key, which I know it's not a huge announcement because, you know, just using your phone as a key, but it's the technology. They said it was using NFC and ultra wideband. And ultra wideband as a tech is something I'm really interested in. So that was their first like official Google announcement of ultra wideband on Android rather than just Samsung adding the chip in there so you could, you know, track some other stuff. That's actually a good point. I saw that, but it didn't occur to me that this is the first non-Samsung mention of ultra wideband in the Android ecosystem. Good point. Yeah, the Teslas use Bluetooth and it's actually surprisingly reliable. The way they're doing it is they have a Bluetooth antenna on each rear view mirror on each side of the car and then one on the trunk lid. And so what happens is as you get closer to the car, you have to be pretty close, like a meter or so, three feet. And the app is always running in the background on your phone and it connects to the car. It's not paired in the traditional pairing sense. It's through the app somehow. There's some encryption. Bluetooth low energy. Yeah, but it's encrypted and it just gets close. And the car at that point, if you squeeze the door handles or try to pop the trunk with a little uh, button on the bottom, it just opens. And if, it, if it's not in range or not working, it doesn't. And in the car itself, there is an, a Bluetooth antenna as well for obviously, you know, streaming music and the phone calls. And that's actually used to, at that point, do the pairing again, not the pairing, but the verification again for you to actually drive the car. So if you were to leave your phone outside the car after you get in it, after you've unlocked it and gotten in, it wouldn't start the car still because it needs to be inside. It's very clever. Like I didn't think you could be so directional and so specific with Bluetooth. You know what I'm saying? I mean, I'm guessing it's just checking signal strength, but that's actually a good way of doing it. It's very smart. It's interesting that this car key Android thing is supporting NFC because NFC would require you to physically tap on something or be close to it. Well, Tesla has the same thing. Uh, they With the physical card that you'd stick in a wallet or something to tap it if you don't have your phone on. Yeah, it. yeah, but that's fine. You'd still have to tap it, though. Like, there's a big difference in use case. So I'll tell you why. My Tesla comes with keys, and the keys are actually not keys. They're NFC cards. So there's yeah. two. They're just credit cards. You put them in your wallet. But you literally have to tap them in a physical location. It's the B pillar. And tap them on the console to start the car. So like, you don't physically have to touch. You can be like two inches away. But the point is, there's a big difference in user experience for me walking to my car with my phone in my pocket. And as soon as I touch the door handle, it's unlocked because of the Bluetooth versus me having to reach for my wallet and get physically close to the B pillar to unlock the car. Well, I mean, I guess that's just the hardware back, uh, backwards compatibility what, like three phones have ultra wide bear. Like I think it's uh, Note 20 Ultra, Z Fold 2, S21 yeah. Plus, S21 Ultra, four phones. What's interesting to me is they didn't see Bluetooth listed in there, which to me would be the ultimate backwards compatibility because almost yeah. every phone has LE, et cetera, et cetera. So it's interesting to me that they're really betting on ultra wideband for this experience I'm describing. Absolutely. But it's also going into the Apple side of car key where... Apple doesn't use Bluetooth either. It's still ultra wideband and NFC only. So they're probably just using the same sensors. Apple uses Bluetooth for car key on the Tesla. (laughs) 
See, well, no, like, no, I mean like the Apple Car key, They're the same type of ultra wideband. Uh, oh, you mean BMW the, compatibility? The universal every yeah. manufacturer approach. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think. Look, I think this is driven not by Android or Apple. This is driven by the car industry. They don't feel Bluetooth is secure, or they yeah. don't have the expertise, as we've seen in the past. They don't know how to make software to save their lives. They don't have the expertise to make Bluetooth work. So they're betting on ultra wideband to be the secure way, and that's fair. I actually do it feel. Is technologically it is better like obviously oh, it is better right like if you've touched an air tag you know it's better but i just thought it was funny to me because i was just like wow like this is still a thing like for me I, it's been part of my life for so long that i don't even think about it now when i go to drive my old volkswagen camper van where i have physical keys and not even a fob like i have to like unlock each door manually there's no central locking it's such a radically different experience you know it's like the yeah. old 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 way to the newest, newest, newest way. And honestly, it's not a huge deal. Like, I don't feel it's too much work to pull out my car keys and plug them into a little slot in the door and rotate it and unlock it and then reach over to the other door for my spouse to get in or whatever. (laughs) You know. It's all ease of use over anything else, which is fine. It's nice, but it's a lot. No, it's just interesting to me how we gotten used to some things. Like, for the longest time I had cars with where the key fob could stay in your pocket and if you reach for the door it would unlock same experience as driving my tesla right but without using the phone as a key except that i'm realizing now that i'm back to using older cars again it's really not that big of a deal folks to have to pull out a key and unlock a car i still have a feeling it's apple and google just wanting to get more into everything which is fine but just their ways of doing it. Well, look, there is a pro and con here. I think this whole ultra wideband story, since that's really the key here, ah, pardon the pun. The ultra wideband story is important and interesting because it adds to, you know, the Find My ecosystem on Apple, right? More divisive yes. ultra wideband. And as you've seen, this is not in the notes, but as an aside, Tile is partnering with Amazon because Amazon has uh, Bluetooth equipped echo speakers everywhere all over the country, in every home, to extend their tile network by kind of globbing onto their technologies for that. Or they have, apparently, Amazon has their own system. Yeah, all the Alexas have the uh, hubs in them to, well, I think one per square mile could cover it. Yeah. And it would basically blankets the U.S. Yeah, instantly makes them competitive with Apple, or even more. I think there's more Alexas out there, not Alexas, Echoes out there than there are anything else uh, it depends on how you think about it because if that's a one square mile that's the range of that is going to be like oh your your tiles within a mile of this compared to iphones where there's like everyone on the street has one every other person so actually what i'm what i'm trying to visualize in my head and i want to know what you think is do you think there's more iphones per square mile in a dense urban environment than there is echoes because there's there's a lot of echoes people who don't use apple devices have echoes I, when I'm thinking about that, I'm thinking two things. I think maybe if you go on averages, probably about the same amount. But right. at the other time, it's not just iPhones that do it. Apple Watch is connected to find my iPads, iPhones, Macs do it. So when you're doing every app... Yeah, but Macs don't have ultra wideband yet. No, they don't. Uh, but uh, in terms of the actual Find My network, it's also over Bluetooth. Okay, right. So it's doing both. Interesting. So I still think Apple has the uh, upper hand here. But the bottom yeah. line is, you know, we're completely diverging. But it's important because I think ultra wideband yeah. is that thing that will solve that and also solve all kinds of other things like car keys and 
I don't know, pairing in general between two devices. You point your phone at a pair of earbuds and it connects. I know. That's going to be fun. It's going to be great. All right, back to Google Iota. We got distracted. Didn't think we were going to spend that much time on car keys, but whatever. You know, that's what this podcast is all about. If you're tuning in, it's all about the tangents. And I love that, Max, you're willing to go down those roads. It's great. So let's talk about Android Wear because I think that to me is like the killer thing. Like, I just want to say three words. Google plus Samsung plus Fitbit. Like, okay, this is like, this is where my mind was blown. Like, I was like, seriously, this is like the best combo ever, right? Because here you go. Samsung makes fantastic hardware. I don't have to convince you of that. No. Okay. I've, I've had a Galaxy Watch forever. Yeah, I know you have, a, you have your Z Fold 2 here in front of you. And I have a Galaxy Watch first gen that I've used for two or three years continuously and still kicking ass, rocking. It's amazing. And Tizen is, is okay. I don't dislike it. I don't think it's worse than Wear West as we know it today. So I think actually it's probably better. I think that I'd rate Tizen as the second best after Watch OS or whatever Absolutely. it's called. Right? Tizen is just Samsung. That's okay. the only downside. So now that we established that Samsung is definitely a juggernaut on the wearable space, so that good hardware, potential for custom chips that are more power efficient than what Qualcomm offers, although I have a feeling that Qualcomm will be... But Pixel Watch and new Samsung Watch, all five nanometer custom Samsung chips. Right, so exactly. So there's that. But I also have a feeling that Qualcomm can rest on their laurels on this one. They've always kind of been behind on this and they need to step it up, especially if now there's a new Wear OS that's driven by Google, not just Samsung. So yeah. I think that the hardware side is taken care of. Now, I like Wear OS in the sense that even though I like Tizen better, I like the full integration into you know all things Android with Wear OS, right? Like the assistant and all that good stuff. And that's kind of why I'm excited. And Having that partnership between Google and Samsung, I think, is going to make great hardware with potentially great software that remedies a lot of the issues that we've seen in Wear OS. And then conversely, the the kind of third apex of that triangle is you cannot have a good wearable today without proper fitness and health management. This become hypercritical. We all rely on it. Apple Watch has shown the way by a long shot on that. Fitbit certainly has been a leader in the space and they got acquired by Google after themselves acquiring Pebble, whom I used to work for years ago. It's kind of a small story there. But like, I'm not a huge Fitbit fan, but personally, I don't like their products. But I feel like they have a lot of know-how when it comes to health and fitness that would definitely benefit Wear OS and even benefit the Samsung Tizen ecosystem. And as such, seeing those three together, holy crap, Max, right? Yeah. So my, the thing I like is I did, uh, when the Galaxy Watch 3 was launching, I did a lot of research into the sensors, trying to compare, you know, what's being upgraded from Galaxy Watch, uh, sorry, Galaxy Watch Active 2 to Galaxy Watch 3. Samsung has the best uh, sensors for health that I know of in, like, watches right now for on the Android side. Apple's all custom, so I can't really speak to them. Right. But on the Samsung side, they're using very good uh, um, Texas Instrument health sensors. Uh, basically, top the line, blood pressure, everything. Um, and Fitbit has the best software for health tracking on the Android side again. They're the most accurate, they have the most features, and just all around the best. And then Google has that nice UI and software integration between everything. So when you have those three combined, you're getting best hardware, best tracking, uh, and then best software for it. So it's going to be very interesting with, you know, upcoming um, Samsung Galaxy Watch. There's, what, three of those? 
running the new Wear OS and then the new Pixel Watch, which will have all of that fun stuff as well. So do you think that's, that was going to be my next question, actually. Thanks for segueing. Because I'm kind of concerned or worried or whatever. You know, I worry about everything, I guess. But I'm concerned about like this being just a Samsung thing at first. And it's going to take a while for, you know, all of the all the brands that make great watches out there right now that are Wear OS, that where the hardware is really nice. Like, I don't know, there's a million, right? Diesel and Fossil. I love Fossil. I was going to say Fossil Group in general. I just said Diesel, but that's Fossil Group. Yeah, I mean, all of the Fossil stuff. And then the Pixel Watch. There's been this rumor of the Pixel Watch, and it seems to me that this is it. This is this is really reinforcing that this is coming. It's happening. But I want to know that it's not going to be, and I'm a little worried about this, just going to be a trio of Samsung watches and then six months of nothing, and then the rest of the people are going to come on board. I want it to be more like... It all happens around the same time this summer. That would be nice because it gives us choice. So I would expect Samsung watches by the end of summer, probably sure. around August uh, with the new fold foldables and whatnot. And then we get a month off, September. Not really much, probably more access to foldables, a new pair of Samsung earbuds, Galaxy S20 FE, S21 FE, something like that. Then October, November, that's where we get Pixel 6 and Pixel Watch. So you think Pixel Watch and Pixel 6 are going to be in the can at the same time? Yeah, they're coming at the same time. And right okay. now they're planned for October. But if chip shortages happen, they will be pushed back into November. Of course they will. More right. chip shortages. And so what do you think Google's going to do for their chip? Are they going to rely on Samsung to provide something? Or are they going to go to Qualcomm? So they're made by Samsung uh, for Pixel 6 and Pixel oh, Watch. Oh, it's made by Samsung. It's a Samsung okay. SLI, whatever, the Samsung Fab chip at 5 nanometers. Um, but Google designed slash worked on. So it's a collaboration between the Exynos team and the Google team. So I know um, the Whitechapel chip is leaked to the Pixel 6. And that's going to be um, basically a ha in between the Snapdragon 888 and 865 with some hints of Exynos 2100 in there. I'm assuming that for the watch... And it's going to be engineered by Samsung, you think, the, the Whitechapel? I know it's made by Samsung in a collaboration. Well, manufacturers, yeah, for sure. Yeah, I know it's a collaboration between the two. So I think it's probably Google tells Samsung what they want. Samsung designs and makes it. That's my assumption. Not sure, but... You know, Max, you are always on top of these things in such a glorious way. It just warms my heart. What do you think the deal is with Whitechapel? I mean, I know we're diverging, but I'm just always wondering myself, why does Google need... Like Apple makes perfect sense. I understand the M1, you know, getting rid of Intel. I understand when they switched to their own age chips back was what the iPhone four or five or whatever it was. Yeah. Got it. But let's rewind even at a bigger picture. I'm a big fan of pixel. I've always used pixels and nexuses except for the one plus eight pro that I used last year. And I'm still using, cause I can't make up my mind. I don't know if you've listened to the podcast recently. I cannot make up my mind as to which phone to switch to next i've been using one plus nine pro oh there you go well i was thinking of switching to that but it's just too big for me like i found that the eight pro was big and that's the one thing i don't like about it and also i'm missing all those pixel features i really like like the what's it called oh uh, yeah the me the me 11 ultra yeah the problem again no bands Huge. that work in the u.s like i just need 5g no 5g but it works on google Fi. I'm not talking about 4G. I'm talking about 5G. I'm on T-Mobile. I've got 5G on all my devices. I got a millimeter waiver out of my door if I go on, on Verizon. I, I have service for all the networks on all the things. So I just want to obviously have the best. But 
Here's what I miss with OnePlus 8 Pro. I love that phone. It's just too big. And I can't go to OnePlus 9 because no OIS. There's no way. I cannot believe they did that. That was stupid, stupid, stupid. At least it has wireless charging. So for me, the requirements are wireless charging and a good camera and great software. And unfortunately, size got in my way a little bit with the OnePlus 8 Pro. But the Pixel 5 is too small. Too small, too slow as well. I can't deal with... S21 Plus? Too big. Well, no, not too big, but I can't deal with that telephoto. I am not doing a cropped 1.1 zoom 64. So here, hear me out. The S20 FE or S21 FE would actually be my jam. The problem with it is that six gigs of RAM. <sighs> uh, S21 FE should be eight gigs. Okay, then maybe that solves the problem. But it's not out yet, right? Like I need to update to a phone like soon. And so I'm trying to figure out if I wait for the Pixel 6, because here's the thing. I feel that having come from flagship pixels and gone to a flagship OnePlus, because I skipped the 4, I went from the 3XL to the OnePlus 8 Pro. I couldn't use the Pixel 4 because it doesn't have a fingerprint sensor, and a lot of the apps I rely on only use the fingerprint sensor, even though the Pixel 4 was a great phone. And so the size was perfect, though, of the big pixels, the XLs. And I feel that the 4A 5G last year is my favorite pixel, it is the right size, but it's missing wireless charging for me. And also it's missing a flagship chip. I am so used to, you know how fast the OnePlus 9 Pro is, right? Like it's so, it's unreal. And I'm used to that with the 8 Pro as well. And I want to go to a fast flagship level chip. So I don't understand why Google had to go with Wipe Chapel. Like they're such a niche player. You and I are the, part of the 100 people who buy a Pixel every year. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. The thing about the that Whitechapel chip, though, and at least with the Pixel 5, I hated the Pixel 5 running the Snapdragon 765. It should have been a flagship chip. 100%. I mean, The reviewers were saying, like, it's fine on the, on the 765. It'll be fine. You won't notice it. You notice it. It is fine. But you notice it if you're coming from a Pixel 4. Yeah. Exactly. It was worse than the Pixel 4. Get this. It was worse than the Pixel 3 XL. Because I was, yeah. you know, even though I had switched over to the 8 Pro, I was still having my Pixel 3 XL around for having Pixel features. And I noticed it. I picked them up side by side. This two-year, three-year, whatever old Pixel 3 XL was still outpacing the Pixel 5, like, in UI performance. Yeah. And, I like, I understand the price, but that price was not low enough for what they were selling with it, especially if you were, like, trying to upgrade. It, it was That okay. was a Pixel 5a at best. If you read my review on Hot Hardware of the Pixel 5, I nailed them on the price because I think that the fact that they forced us all to get millimeter wave and pay $100 more for it in the US, that nobody needs it, was the issue. And they wanted to separate it more from the 4A 5G. That's why I think the 4A 5G was the Pixel to get last year, but it wasn't the Pixel for me because no wireless charging and no 8 series chip. So again, why as such a niche player in mobile, even though they make some iconic phones that we all love. We love them because the camera and the software driving the camera and the user interface and the user experience are so great. That's why we love them. Why do they need a custom chip? It doesn't make any sense. Qualcomm makes such fantastic chips right now. It's a simple answer for this one. AI. Um, they can do their own oh. custom NPUs. Their, the ISP in there is custom designed. So their camera sensors are custom top-of-the-line sensors. There's now from... a uh, Steve on leaks just leaked the uh, Pixel 6 XL design. It went out a few minutes ago. Yeah. Matched John Prosser's exactly. I was going to say, is it the same? Yeah. Same leak, uh, same design. But there's a periscope telephoto in there. There is more space Ooh. between the ultra wide and the main sensor, which leads me to think it's going to be a much larger main sensor, too. So when we're getting all of these 
very different uh, camera features. I mean, as much as you want to say the Snapdragon 888... So do you think that Google is trying to go... Are they going back to to flagship? Like, are, yes. are they going to make a fifteen hundred dollar pixel? Because I'm on board. I'll buy a fifteen hundred dollar so pixel. So it's not going to be a fifty. It'll be sub. I'm joking, but you know what I'm saying. Like, I'm willing to go that far. Like, is what I'm saying. Oh, I know. It'll be sub a thousand. But let's say quad HD one twenty hertz display on the XL model, five thousand milliamp hour battery, five G with millimeter wave on there, uh, custom. You know, the new camera sensors, in display fingerprint scanner. They're going all out. This will be the pixel, the pixel. Is this going to be a Pixel 6 and a Pixel 6 XL, you think, or just one? Yes. So Pixel 6 and 6 XL. The 6 yeah. is going to have two cameras, uh, smaller full HD 120 hertz instead. Not sure battery capacity, but I assume 4,500-ish. Okay. XL is going to be 5,000 quad HD triple cameras, you know, step up. Phew. About maybe I'll just wait a little longer with my OnePlus 8 Pro. I mean, honestly worth it. A lot of people are like, well, just switch phones. It's no big deal. I'm like, you don't understand. I have so much crap on my phone. Like, it's just a nightmare. It takes me an entire day to switch phones. And I don't I don't have time for that. I have the phones. I can play with them all day long. I don't need to install all my stuff to experience a phone. Like, I can have just my Google ecosystem yeah. on there and be happy. That's how I review phones. I install my Google apps. I install my social media apps. But I don't have my car on there. I don't have my banking no, on there. I don't have all it. my other stuff on there. And then, you know, my Google Authenticator, like, having to port that over to a new phone every time is such a high. So well, that's easy now. Yeah, now they changed it, right? Yeah, I think you'd have it on multiple devices too. Good. Anyway, the point I'm making is that I'm waiting to pick the right phone. And so far, nothing has tickled my fancy. But this is exactly what I've been waiting for. A Pixel with a Pixel features. Like the, the you know, holding a line for you, being on hold for you. Yes. All that new stuff they introduced last year. That's, to me, that's what Google I.O. is about. It's all this, it's these great features. And the camera... Look, I love my OnePlus 8 Pro camera. It's really good. And the 9 Pro is really good too. However, like every time I go back to using a Pixel, I'm just like, this is what I want, but with a better sensor and more lens choices. We got it. But with the same computational goodness. And so if that's going to happen, it's weird to me that Google went on and on with the 5 about how they wanted to make an affordable Pixel because they saw the success of the 3A, right? So here's what I... Do you think the 5A is going to be basically the same as the 4A though? Uh, yeah. Well, I don't, I know the price, but I'm not allowed to say it. Um, it's not going to be priced the same as the 4A. Like better or worse? Price-wise? Um, more. Okay. So it better have wireless charging then, because that's the thing that's missing. No. <sighs> when are manufacturers, okay, you're, you're, an, you're a Samsung guy. You know how many phones of theirs have wireless charging. You know how the iPhones have wireless charging. What the F is with the f***ing industry not wanting wireless charging at a mid-range price point like i understand at 200 dollars. i think it's a few things it's chi you have to pay to use chi so there's the licensing fee for chi the actual hardware i know it's like i think they what, one plus said it was like a dollar a phone or something that's not a big deal they could pay for that but i think it's the licensing fee and then um fcc verification uh, certification then certification for that because that adds up when you're doing a mid-range phone yeah but it should be par for the course by now it, and it is slowly getting there, but we're not there yet. Bluetooth is par for the course. Well, Bluetooth you need. Like, you know what I'm saying? Like, NFC is par for the course. Wireless charging you can get away with. 
All these things need FCC. You cannot sell a phone in the U.S. without NFC or Bluetooth. You can sell a phone without wireless charging. I agree. I agree. And the Chinese are finally getting on the on board with NFC. We're going to switch modes in a second, talk about the Poco M3 Pro 5G. And that phone is 159 euros. And I don't know if the variant I have, because I haven't set it up yet, has NFC. But there are some variants with NFC, which at that price point for a Chinese maker is amazing. Because you know how they've been so resistant to put NFC on a lot of the phones. But see, that's my point. Like you're saying here that in the US it's not acceptable not to have NFC, yet Moto still ships all the G series without NFC. NFC, I think that's still an arguable point because, you know, Google Pay is not that big. But my point is, you see, it's arguable. You, you can see that it's arguable. That tells me that these people are not willing to pay for the FCC approval on these things, yet we all know the usability and the usefulness of it. To me, wireless charging is the same thing. I looked at cars the other day because I, I like to follow car tech. You can buy a cheap $20,000 Hyundai. It will have a cheap charging pad built in. It's not an option. It's not an extra. It's there. Like, when are we going to get on board here? Like, the Qi charges are everywhere, and the phones are not following suit. You have to buy a freaking flagship to get wireless charging. It is pissing me off. Let me ask you this. Would you, uh, if you were buying a, let's say, $400 phone, would you like to spend $425 or $430 instead of $400 just yes. for wireless charging? Yes. Do you think most people would, though? Probably not. If they don't know that the $30 extra they paid is for that, probably they won't care if the phone is good. That's fair. But from what I, I'm in college now, between the last time I was on here, I have graduated high school and finished my first year of college. It's been like a good year and a half at this point. But um, in that amount of time, I've met a lot of people my age. They all have iPhones, right? Those all have wireless charging. Every single one does. Not a single person I know has one, has wireless charging. You, you also write that in the US, people buy their phones subsidized. They basically all buy flagships at this point, except for yeah. the, there's outliers like the iPhone SE that have wireless charging at an incredible price point, right? I get it. Yeah. I'm just saying that this, this is what pisses me off about the industry in general. Like, why do Americans have to always go to the f***ing Verizon store and buy a flagship they don't have to like most people would be served perfectly well by a galaxy s20 fe like we all agree and that has wireless charging yep so there you go why do they have to buy an s21 uh because the u.s mobile industry is very predatory and want to sell people on things to get them stuck into credit so they can pay extra and probably have to pay interest i mean it's it's just it's stupid it's horrible. But. I mean, I know what it is. It's a yeah. rhetorical question. It's just stupid to me. <laughs> it's know. like if you're listening, folks, and you're on a budget and you don't want to spend your life away at buying a phone that's going to cost you a lot of, a lot of money over the two year you have it, just, just buy yourself an unlocked phone. Like just go to Samsung.com, buy an F- S21 or S20 FE, like put it on your credit card if you need credit. Yeah. And done. Go on. No one outside of the U.S. Uh, does phone leases like this. Everyone buys it in cash. And they don't get flagships because they don't want to spend $1,000 on a phone. Everyone in the U.S. buys it on like a 40 bucks a month for two years. I'm thinking the fact that you can buy a Hyundai for $20,000 with a wireless charging pad built in means that it's possible to have affordable things with these features. And so it's just the market here. If in the U.S. we drove it harder in the mid-range for people to actually buy mid-range phones, they will all have wireless charging because the flagships do. And people would want the same experience that their friends have with the flagship phone because people demand the best, right? And I also think that what's also difficult here is that 
fast charging has become real, except for Samsung yes. and Apple, apparently, which is really crazy to me. It's annoying. But Sam, fast charging is becoming a thing. And then, you know, I'm willing to kind of forego the watch charging to some extent when I have 60 watt, 50 watt, even 30 watt fast charging. And a lot of Chinese phones have it and it's great. And they don't need FCC approval for that. And they do it. And it's magical. I no longer charge my phones overnight at all. I just charge on demand pretty much exclusively. Same. I have the Nomad wireless charging pro mat that can charge three things at once oh nice it's wireless charging again but that just throw things on there when you need it see there you go you like it too even though you can charge wired fast i was gonna say as a samsung user primarily with the z fold 2 are you annoyed with the slow charging speeds on that not really i mean you have one plus nine pro now yeah, I have wireless charge. Well, I have everything at the moment. Yeah, no, but me too. But you have OnePlus 9 Pro as well. And you see how much faster that charges. So I throw it on the warp charger whenever I need it. The wireless one. Exactly. So do you like that? See, this is why I think people are always saying it's either fast charging or wireless charging. I'm like, no, it can be both. Like, that's the thing. Like, flagships can have super fast wireless charging and fast normal wire charging. And then give me the S20 FE or S21 FE with... 10 watt wireless charging or 15 and like just 25 watt regular charging that is how you save your money and it's still a great experience for people yeah anyway i could rant on about this all day just one last thing i want to mention though and towards like mid-range phones why people people when they're buying like 500 phones they don't expect as much as the flagships and they're not going to demand as much because there's at least the mindset of i'm spending less i'm going to get less if it's one feature or two whatever i'm spending less i'm getting less that's understandable and i think a lot of people go by that mindset which is why the mid-range isn't being pushed as much because they just understand they're spending less they're getting less at least in the u.s yeah but you and i both know that's not true you and no. i both know that oneplus and samsung with the fe have shown that it can be done right in fact i kept joking when the fe came out last year that samsung had out oneplus to oneplus literally they just yes. threw oneplus in the corner and said this is what we can do when we apply ourselves you know OnePlus 9 is basically a mid-range phone, but worse. Not the Pro, the 9. I agree 100%. It's the most disappointing because it, it hits so many right, things right, and then it just... The plastic body ruins it. The plastic body ruins it, but for me, it's more importantly the lack of OS. I cannot get over that. They went all out and put that great sensor from the 8 Pro in there, and then they decide, oh, like, we don't need OS. I, are you f nuts? Quite honestly, I haven't noticed the difference. You do notice it when you take the same photo side by side with the OnePlus 8 Pro or the OnePlus 9 Pro or the OnePlus 8 or 8T in low light. And you see that it has to keep the shutter open longer for the same result. And if you now pixel peek, you see streaks. It's softer because it's not night and day. If you look at the pictures, like full res, like, like the whole thing, yeah, it looks okay. It looks fine. But then you, you look a little sharper. You want to look a little sharper, a little closer. You zoom in a bit. Not much, just a little bit. You're cropping a little bit for Instagram. Boom. Soft, 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 soft. Like, Fair. ah, why? Like, they had OIS on the 8 and 8T last year. They had no wireless charging. Those phones were perfect with wireless charging, I'll be honest. But they didn't. So then they said, okay, we've heard all these people bitch that we need wireless charging on the 9. We'll put it on. And then, oh, but we need to save money. Let's save a dollar by removing OIS. Oh, let's also remember for the nine. Oh, uh, wireless charging is only in US and Europe. It's not in China and India. That is true. That is true. And I think it's thicker because of it too. So it's a different chassis. Yeah, it is. And then in uh, on um, the Pro, China and US have millimeter wave. Europe and India don't. And I think India has a different version of it. So like the US and Chinese and Indian and European models are all different. So when you're getting cases, you need different cases for them. See, so this is where like, 
And then you worry about spending a dollar more for OIS. Are you nuts, OnePlus? Like, where are your priorities here? Hasselblad should have said, there is no effing way we're making our, putting our brand on that phone has no OIS. That's what I would have said if I was Hasselblad. That's how I felt that Hasselblad partnership had me a little worried. It didn't have me worried. A couple hundred million dollars probably uh, made them forget it. It didn't have me worried until I found out I had no OIS on the 9 because I was like, you are not serious about this partnership. If you were serious, you would not put your... We were talking about Hasselblad who put their brand on the stupid Moto Mod. Like, so maybe you're right. Money buys all. Let's wrap up Google I.O. because we need to talk about the rest of the stuff. So, okay. Android 12. Ryan did a deep dive on Android Police. So check it out. There's a lot of good stuff. The thing that struck me the most, honestly, I'm happy with everything. It's great, except for the fact that it looks like iOS now, the notification tray. I don't mind it. You know, the big icons for the quick settings. My biggest gripe with quick settings is already as it is, I don't have enough access to different quick settings by one swipe. So now I'm going to have to like swipe a million times to get what I need. That's fair. I mean, you can rearrange it, I guess, but whatever. Can you change the icon size back to the small size? No, not even through ADB or modding. <sighs> Maybe a ROM, but that's too much work just to that. Nah, nah, I don't care about that. I want it to be a feature. That's unfortunate to me. That's going to take some getting used to. The other thing is going to take some getting used to that I really, really hate, and I said the same thing about the volume buttons when they changed the volume button context, was the power lock key context. To me, the power lock key on Android should give you a menu to shut down or restart your phone. Anything else is wrong because I'm old and cranky. Active Edge was fantastic. I don't want to hold my power button to activate the assistant same i would uh, i also just like the active edge on the pixel where you could squeeze yeah well that's on like three phones you know what i'm saying uh yeah htc pixel 2 pixel 3 you know what i'm saying like i'm just i'm just saying yeah. i agree with you it's a great feature i never used it but i agree it's a great feature but i think it's such a niche thing that we can't expect it to be there i just feel that for me like the user experience of phones between iOS and Android is unifying in this really weird way that I don't think is right. Like, I think it's a problem. It's good for consumers, average consumers, not us, you know, that know a lot. But the average consumer that's picking one up, they'll know how to use it. That's good. Yeah, for sure. Back when they changed the volume buttons to, you know, whatever it was. I hate that. Yeah, I hate it too. And it's still there. And now I'm used to it. I guess I'm going to get used to the power button. You're not going to be able to change the setting. That's a setting you can disable, though. Oh, you can disable yeah, you that can. still? Yeah, okay, so what, they yeah. changed it to be the default now. Yeah. It's already a setting, I think, on a lot of new phones with Android 11. Like, Xiaomi has it. Xiaomi does OnePlus it. OnePlus has it. Oppo. Oppo, you can't even swipe up from the corners for your assistant, though. No, you can't. Well, that's the other problem with all these skin phones. Like, I just drives me nuts. That's why one for me, it's OnePlus or Pixel, really. Like, I like MIUI on the Mi 11 Ultra. Mi, MIUI has grown on me. I like it's pretty solid. And I like also One UI on Samsung, I think, has gotten really good. I don't like One UI 3. I hate One UI 3 so much. It feels like oh, a really, really bad color, color OS. <laughs> oh, yeah. Color OS. It's gotten better, too, the Oppo one. All right, let's switch gears. Okay, so at 12, we've talked Vero OS car keys. Project Starline, I don't think we can spend much time on this. I just feel it's very interesting and cool, and I'm wondering what it's going to take for hardware to trickle down to being in our computers and tablets for that to work. It won't. That, it that won't. required a 3D <laughs> display and a 3D scanner. You need dedicated hardware for that. <laughs> yeah, I think you're right. But it's cool to imagine that there could be a booth at your office or something you can go to 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 meet someone like this 
And then we already talked about the changes to computational photography to uh, make people of color's skin look more realistic. And that's, I think, is a good thing. We also talked about the Pixel 6 design leaks. Anything else you want to add about the Pixel 6 design? It's it's striking to me. I really like what I'm seeing. I like this combination of black and orange and, and all that. It's very iconic. So those colors aren't totally accurate. It's more of a peach uh, and a very light. Uh, like, do you remember the Pixel 3 sand? Yes. Think of that one color. Think of a peach color at the top and a sand for the bottom um for that with a gold body uh, it works for me you know what it looks like it looks like the imax the new 24 inch uh, it does. imax but i do know another thing they're doing a green pixel 6 i'm not sure what those colors like, are specifically but there's a green one. Oh, you don't know if it's light or dark green just green i'm assuming bottom's going to be light green top is going to be dark green but i know they're doing a green they have the peach color and then likely silver and black so how do you explain this big turnaround for google from going to mid-range 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 because of the success of the pixel 3a then the 4A came out, then the 45G and the 5, which are essentially mid-range phones, to now going back to full-on. Like You explained to me, and I think it makes sense, why they're going Whitechapel, because the machine learning AI stuff is the priority. They can do custom ISPs, yeah. And it's customize all... SP. Well, I mean, when I say machine learning and AI, that's yeah. the machine learning and AI part of photography. What do you think is their interest suddenly as a niche player already and, and have a custom chip on that that adds cost to go for like a $1,000 flagship again? Because Pixel 1 did fine. It wasn't a great. It was the first Pixel. Whatever. Pixel 2, meh, didn't do great. Pixel 3, didn't really do well. Pixel 3a, the Pixel 3 still outsold the Pixel 3a, but for a single model, the Pixel 3a did well for Google. For sure. So I wouldn't still call it a success, but it was better. That's what they're going for. Pixel 4 and 4XL, eh. Yeah. Pixel 5s, eh. So in every year, whenever they've released these meh phones. So you think they learned that Price was price does not matter in the U.S. I don't think price matters in the U.S. It, it doesn't, as you said. No one was interested. But they don't have the carrier agreements, do they? They do. They have Google. They have sorry, T-Mobile and Verizon, and they're also on AT and T now. Pixel Five is on AT and T. Okay, so they're now starting to finally get the carrier. But every year the complaints were this phone looks old, feels old, and doesn't have the good specs. So they're just like, you know what? Let's do it all. They're doing better design. Better specs. And don't forget, the 5 was overpriced for what it was. In my and I, again, I still don't think people care in the US because it's it's what? The difference between 20 bucks a month and 25 No, but you and I care because we notice these things. And it's good to point it out that if you do go oh, of and course. pay full price for that phone, I think it should be $100 less because you're paying for millimeter wave on the 5. So, okay, so that makes sense. So they're, they're learning that. See, to me, I've always thought that Google is a niche player. So how much it costs them to make a phone since it's subsidized shouldn't matter because ultimately they're not going to sell enough. It's a loss leader. They make their money through advertising. You know, you know what I'm saying? It's like there are a lot of companies out there who sell really nice things in low quantity simply because they have another thing that they do that sells in high quantity and subsidizes This it. is the year they do that. Because finally, I'm, I don't want to say much, but the marketing budget, um, think of something on the level of a Samsung Galaxy S series device. So they're still trying to become not a niche player? That makes no sense to me. They're trying to steal from Samsung, straight up. I don't think they're going to succeed at all. It's impossible. I think in the next two or three years they will. Because in the US at least, I know people, like people I know personally, if you were getting an Android phone, they would rather get a Google phone than a Samsung phone. But Google phones, historically, if you read the reviews, talk to people, no one wanted them. The Pixel fans right. liked them. Everyone else said they were fine. 
Samsung phones, generally everyone likes that. How do they get away from that, though? I think the fans are still there. It's still a niche thing. Like, I don't see them being able to... because Two or three years, I can see Samsung it. can throw an, another fan edition phone or something that totally breaks the wrench of the system for Google. Samsung has infinite budget, comparatively. Uh, I think Google could, if they wanted to, throw more money at it than Samsung. They could, but they're not willing to. They are this year. That's the thing. So you think they want to become a player in the phone market after all these years? It's kind of yeah. a little late, Google. Like It is a little late, but if they can really pump out two, three, four really good pixels and continuously do them, I think they could make it. Because keep in mind, the design they were going for is for a reason. Look, I want them to make it. What I'm hearing so far about this Pixel 6 is just totally worth waiting for for me. Like I'm like on freaking board. This is exactly what I want. Yes. But you have to also, for one other thing, the Pixel 6, the camera design there, that is so they can keep that design language into the future. That bar is so they have enough room to fit future camera tech in there without changing the design. So we'll get a consistent design language too. I love it. It reminds me of the Nexus 6P. Yeah. Now my only concern with that is I broke the glass on the Nexus 6P just by putting it down a little too hard. Okay, Max, you break everything. Let's talk about the Panasonic Toughbook FZS1. I have one, you have one. You wrote an article, yep. I did an unboxing video. It's a 7-inch rugged tablet that costs 2500 bucks, and it's not for consumers. It is for enterprise. So yes, since you break everything, this is ideal for you. That was kind of the review for me. Panasonic wanted to see if I could break it. <laughs> and did you? Did you drop it? Did you test it? Did you do weird things to it? I haven't done the full like durability testing to it yet, but um, that would, you know, it's fine. Oh, yeah. You're not going to break it. Oh, I can break it. Don't worry. I can break anything. I know what I'm saying is, of course you can, but like not doing what you're doing. No, no, I'm slapping it hard. For those who are just listening to the audio, Max just slapped the back of the tablet against his hand really hard. And of course, that's not going to do anything. Step on it. Drop it five feet. That's what we want to see. There you go. Just throw it. Max just threw it behind (laughs) them. Okay. So look, my takeaway on this is I've reviewed, well, I've tested i've played with and i've done unboxings on a whole bunch of tough books over the years and i like them they're great for i mean for their intended purpose you know they make perfect sense i like the form factor i think it's a really nice it feels really nice in hand especially with these little recessed areas by the battery but i feel like you know this is again very much an enterprise product like snapdragon 660 4 gigs of ram you know 64 gigs of storage micro sd lt on some versions dual sim and first net support for the first responders it's got you know nfc it's got an 800 by 1280 display that's really bright and ips but looks pretty good to me actually and like mediocre cameras five megapixel front 13 autofocus back you know nothing you'd want to use for real but but this is not what this is it's not for you and me it's not for the listeners it's got mil spec durability it's for military uh warehouses all that stuff and it has like crazy water and dust resistance as well uh, ip 65 67 and you can drop it onto concrete from five feet that's going to be the ultimate test for you max i'm going to try over five feet don't worry okay see what happens if it breaks panasonic might send me an angry email but uh Still worth testing. But look, that's what it's for, right? Like, it's, yeah. I, I think they shouldn't complain too much about that. No, if you go like forklifts, drop it from there. Who knows? Exactly. So, anyway, I just wanted to mention it. Check out my unboxing video. Check out Max's article. I'll link to it in the show notes. The next device I want to talk to that is more exciting to me, obviously, than the Tough Book 
is the Poco M3 Pro 5G, also known as, because of part spinning, the Redmi Note 10 5G. Turns out it's very much the same phone. And, and honestly, what blows my mind about this phone is the base price, because I have an early bird sale price, for the four gigabyte, 64 gigabyte model, which is 159 euros, which if you convert to the US right now is about $190, 195 US dollars. So it's just below $200. We're finally at a point where you can buy a decent 5G phone for less than 200 bucks. And this is Dimensity 700 from MediaTek. It is, of course, not going to work with 5G bands in the US. But if you're in a country that supports 5G on the other bands and you want a really, really affordable $200 or less phone that doesn't suck, honestly. I mean, I'm basing this on my Poco M3 experience. This is basically a Poco M3 with a 5G chip, a 90 hertz display, and that's it. Yeah, slightly smaller battery. It's going to be very good. I, I don't have one. It looks good. I have one. I need to set it up. But based on my M3 experience, my Poco M3, I think this is going to be really great. And for the money, I think you can't go wrong. The only thing I think is missing, and I'm pointing that out in my video, is the lack of an ultra wide. And that's a little disappointing because I would have spent just an extra 10 or $20 for that, frankly. Honestly, but for a 200, I, I don't like for 200. It's one of those things where, you know, there are minor things they could have added. No, exactly. Maybe they, I know. But they'll also just release a new version at Poco M3.5 in like a month with like. No. Exactly. No, they, they did exactly that. The Poco M3 last year was, you know, the, the non 5G version of this phone. And they came out with a Redmi 9 Plus or 9S or something like literally two weeks later that, ha that was $10 more and added the ultra wide. It's the same phone. But look, the it. Poco M3 Pro 5G came out this week. It exists. You can now buy a phone for less than $200. gives you 5G. Do you care about 5G? Probably not. Should you care about 5G? Probably not. But the fact that the prices are going down so quickly to me says that within another year, Max, I think every phone worth its, you know, decent salt, like anything over 150 bucks will be 5G. By default. Yeah, and then we'll soon get smartwatches with 5G and all the fun oh, stuff finally boy. getting in there. Are you happy about that, or you're just saying that in a condescending way? A bit of both. I <laughs> have a cellular Apple Watch. I like it. Um, yeah. 5G would not make a difference. Yeah, I agree with you. For me, it's not a deal breaker. So this is cool. We got a new phone. We got a new tablet this week. Let's quickly talk about the Samsung folding phone concept. What do you take of Ooh. this? This is for the display. They have a display conference, right? Are, yeah, are we going the... So the under-display conference, the big things were rolling phone, under-display camera, new folding phones, I believe. There's one more I can't And remember. so how much of that do you think we're going to see in the Z Fold 3? So they... Uh, Z Fold 3, I think we're getting under-display camera. The rumor says under-display camera with new ultra-thin glass and an S Pen. That's what generally you should expect. So they're going to be able to do an S Pen on a folding glass phone, right? It's still the same yep. kind of glass treated folding. It's a new version of ultra thin glass. Because you saw Michael Fisher, who uses his Z Fold 2 all the time. You have one yourself. Yeah. What do you think happened to his where the crease started delaminating, the glass started breaking off? I have no clue. He and I spoke about that a bunch. We Neither of us had any idea. Anytime we have issues, we just message each other like, hey, have you noticed this yet? But I <laughs> honestly have no idea. I've had my fold same amount of time he has, I think actually longer because I didn't get a custom hinge, but I've had no issues. Right. I had to get it replaced once because I broke the back camera glass uh, literally a week after getting it. But that was it. Oops. 
how much was that repair? Was it included? It's 120. Special... Okay. But they gave it to me for free because they didn't have any inventory um, in yet. So I, I have a feeling it wasn't actually because of that. I have a feeling it's because I was complaining on Twitter and they wanted to do that to be nice. But according to what they said, they didn't. Uh, they overnighted the part straight from the factory in Korea, replaced it for me, and then got it back to me within like three days. Nice. Um, and did the repair for free. Cool. Normally it's 120 plus tax. Well, it's nice to know that you can get the back camera glass replaced on these phones. They replace the entire back panel. Well, of course. But yeah. my point is that every time you see a phone repair plan, you always they always seem to talk about the main display glass, but there's never any provision, it seems, or very much in the deep, fine print about the actual camera pod. And the camera pod breaks. A lot of people had, you know, last year, I remember the, the S20 Ultra. A lot of people had their S20 Ultra. Yeah, there's a lawsuit for that right now. So you think that was a defect? I think so. Yeah. It was happening on too many people's. The glass was blowing out from the back, out instead of in. And um, it was all in the same area on all of them. It's a defect. Yeah. If Samsung's saying otherwise, maybe there's some environmental stuff with it, but it's a defect. So in this display conference, what stood out for you? What should we be watching out other than the obvious, like an under-display camera on the Z Fold 3? I think Roll. Roll? Okay. Because they trademarked Galaxy Z Roll. Okay. That is an official Samsung trademark now. So they're at least in some way, shape, or form preparing for it or working on it. Yeah. And LG already has one. I mean, I'm, I'm trying to get one. Yeah, yeah. So there's another story. Yeah, so again, I didn't put it in the show notes. This is kind of an ancillary thing to the show, but that the LG employees will be able to buy the Velvet replacement called what, the Rainbow or whatever? And Rainbow? The, it was either Velvet 2 Pro or Rainbow. Those were the two internal names. And the Rollable. Yep. As LG winds down there. 3,000 of each. Yeah. So I guess they made a run probably for testing and they're selling them. Yeah, it was all internal testing. There were 3,000 of each available. They're selling them to employees. And you know what? If anyone works at LG listening to this and you know can buy one, let me know. I'll get one. I'll buy one off you. Yeah, it'd be interesting. I'm hoping somebody gets their hands on one so we can see what I'm trying. Like. I've, I've asked two or three people from Korea and China if they could get me one and they're trying to get them. Yeah. I'm trying to get a rollable. I don't really care about the rainbow too much. It's a velvet with flagship specs. <laughs> Pretty much. All right, let's jump into a couple of more things before we quickly share our thoughts on the Apple announcements. Qualcomm launched a new chip as part of the Snapdragon 5G Summit this week, the Snapdragon 778G. And what stands out to me here is, for those of you who are not following the chip stuff too closely, last year we had an 865 flagship chip announced simultaneously with a 765. And the 765 is in a lot, a lot of US phones, including the Pixels last year, and, you know, a lot of phones. And it was a very successful chip. I think it was most probably the most important chip of 2020 in the sense that it brought near flagship performance for a much lower price point. Not good enough for us, you and I, no. but I think, it was, I think it was a good enough chip for most people. So it's very important when Qualcomm came out with the 888, the new flagship chip, that they would have something to accompany that in the mid-range like that. And it didn't come at the same time. And we were kind of all scratching our heads. Furthermore, a few weeks back, the Snapdragon 780G came out on the Mi 11 Lite 5G, which I have a review unit of. And that chip was a 5 nanometer chip that inherited a lot of the features from the 888. So we thought, that's it. That's the mid-range chip, the 780G. But then we really quickly noticed that 
That chip was essentially made for Xiaomi for that one phone or maybe for a few phones and it wasn't going to be a volume chip. And now we know why. Because the Snapdragon 778G is exactly essentially the same as the Qualcomm Snapdragon 780G in terms of specs and features and functionality, except that it's at a 6 nanometer manufacturing process instead of a 5 nanometer manufacturing process. So the 780G is a 5 nanometer chip. The 778G is a 6 nanometer chip made by TSMC. And that is the big thing. It means that they can do volume on that chip. Because yeah. a 5 nanometer process is expensive and complicated and, and low volume. It's safe for flagships. Apple, yeah. Samsung, Qualcomm flagships. And the 6 nanometer is a little bit more attainable. So basically think of the 778G and 780G as twins with different nanometer manufacturing processes. There were a few differences like low light for cameras, there camera are... specs, and then uh, core count or core spec. Yeah, the core specs are a little different. But the bottom line is you can think of them as very similar. And I think that's... Yeah, basically the same. That's the takeaway. So now we have a mid-range chip that hopefully we'll see in every mid-range $500-ish phone. A lot of companies are also using the 750G. Yeah, but the 750G is a significant downgrade over oh, the yeah. 765. And the you know the chip we haven't seen, I certainly have not encountered a phone with yet, is the 768G last year. Where the hell is that chip? Oh, yeah. That was what, the one spec up? One spec up from the 765. I think there might have been like a couple phones in China with it. I think Realme did it in China. Yeah, yeah, but my point is in the West here, we didn't see anything. No one uses the weird chips in the, the West. I think that's the thing. I think that, you know, I've noticed that Xiaomi being such a part-spinning monster, and I don't think that in a bad way, this is not derogatory. I think it's fantastic it's good. how they're... Yeah. It's amazing what they're able to do. I also feel that they are basically commissioning Qualcomm to make custom chips for them at this point. Because that 780G, I haven't seen on any other phone since then. No. It's only on the Mi 11 Lite 5G. And it's a 5 nanometer chip. You know it's expensive to make, and you know it's rare. But that phone is so sleek and slim and sexy, I totally understand. It would have been so good in the um, A72 5G. Yes, for sure. But anyway, Qualcomm made a new chip, Snapdragon 778G. It's essentially the mid-range version of the 888. There you go. That's what you need to know. Speaking of, though, you have some intel that's interesting here. I want to talk about this really briefly. Honor is going to switch to using Qualcomm chips. Not yep. surprising. Honor mm -hmm. spun out from Huawei as their own company, and they can use Google services, and they can use Qualcomm. So you have some intel, I believe. Honor 50 Pro Plus, I think that's the name. Whatever the top-end Honor phone is. Uh, first phone with the Snapdragon 888 Plus. Plus, huh? Yeah. Well, that's not surprising. I mean, of course they were going to make an 888 Plus at some point, right? Just a yeah. clock-bombed version of the 888, as far as you know? Uh, basically, probably Wi-Fi things. I know, like, they, with the 865 and 865 Plus, there was, what, uh, Quick Connect 6700 for Qualcomm. Probably something like that, too. Maybe a camera ISP upgrade. That's all I can really imagine. But I'm excited about it. I also think that it sounds like there might be a, a lower end or a mid-range version of one of their 50 series phones with the 778G we just discussed as well. Yeah, of course. And they, they do three. It's the honor, the base model, the Pro, and the Pro Plus. That's what they've been doing recently. Interesting, because in the past, it's always been they had a light and a base and a Pro. They're going the same. So they did separate from Huawei, but most employees are still straight from Huawei. At least the camera team is basically all Huawei's camera team. So I also expect right. a lot of camera magic there. It's one feature I know of. I'm just going to say one word, IMAX. 
Um, <laughs> okay. uh, but that's over in the honor side of things too. So expect some camera magic there. But it, again, it's still mostly Huawei, and Huawei did base Pro and Pro Plus. So I would expect something like that. I love how you have all the Intel Max. It's kind of amazing. My job is kind of knowing everything. You heard it maybe here first, maybe on on Max's tweets first. Who knows? <laughs> Max knows. Did you tweet about this yet? Nope. Okay. Well, I guess I'm the first one to have it. Thanks, Max. Of course. <laughs> yeah. So look, I loved Honor phones. I was a little bummed when it was starting to get very hard to get them. Like when they were still part of Huawei, I would still get the Huawei's flagships, even though you know there was the restrictions and stuff. But the Honors just fell off the cliff for me. I couldn't get access to them anymore, and it was a bummer. So I'm looking forward to now that they're spun off in their own thing, that getting these review units, because especially if they're Qualcomm chips now and GMS, it's going to be like the best of both worlds. It's going to be all the Huawei camera goodness and all the GMS and Qualcomm goodness all in one brand. So I'm happy about that, frankly. It'll be nice. All right, quick thoughts. The Apple iMac M1, the 24-inch new colorful iMac that's super thin, is finally out and the reviews are out and they're very, very hot and very great. Not surprising. We knew what to expect from the M1 chip. We know what to expect on the other existing Macs. And the iPad Pro M1 reviews came out the day after. So what's your take on this? Basically, for me, it's been simple. I love what I see in that new iMac design. I know a lot of people like the white bezels and the chin, but I think it's iconic. I think the white bezels blend better with a background in a home environment than the black does. And I totally understand why Apple went that route. And so I'm on board and the M1 chip just sweetens the deal. I don't care about the lack of ports because we live in the future and everything is USB-C anyway. And then the ethernet on the power adapter is brilliant. I agree. Um, The thing about M1, I was, I have an M1 MacBook Pro, that's what I'm on right now. Um, uh, I don't think it's a huge deal. Uh, I haven't for a while. Once I got it, I, when it was first announced, it's like, oh, wow, M1. This is cool. Apple chips. Great. But once I got it, it felt the same as a normal Mac. So if you use an M1 exactly. Mac and a normal Mac, they're like an Intel Mac. There's no difference in actual feel. I like what they're doing with design, though, because now they're able to do thinner designs. That's where the M1 is really sticking out to me, having, uh, I would say, more... Uh, I, would, I don't want to say futuristic, because I don't think the new iMac really looks futuristic. It looks... Um, iconic. Fun. Iconic. Fun. They're going back to yep. more fun designs. That's what I'm a huge fan of. And that's what they're doing now. And that's the only part of the M1 stuff not even iPad Pro. iPad Pro, great. I don't care. Mini LED, great yeah. for HDR, whatever. iPad Pro is nothing to me. The new designs for the iMac, though, that's where I like what they're going with. You're just echoing exactly what I feel. Like I feel like if you're looking at one thing on these iMacs, it's going to be a hate it or love it, and it's going to be the design. And for me, it's a love it. And I ordered one. Oh, really? Nice. Yeah. I can't wait for the macbook air replacement though that Ooh, design yeah like i want a macbook Air in those colors and it's rumored like it's it's supposedly the next gen so i bought the macbook air m1 and like i feel there's an improvement in performance over my intel Macs. i have i'm right now using uh core i5 imac a three-year-old one 27 inch the big one and honestly my macbook air m1 runs circles around it so there is an improvement in performance for me going from Intel to M1, at least going from a three-year-old Intel iMac to a MacBook Air M1. I went from an i5 MacBook Pro dual core to an M1 MacBook Pro. I, I traded it in, so I didn't actually have them side by side at all, but I couldn't tell a difference. It felt the same. 
Battery life, on the other hand, better on M1, but I, the more I've used it, the more it's gotten a little worse just because I've installed more apps, more things running in the background, right. pushing it harder. Right. So it's still better than the Intel one, sure. Uh, but other than like fan speeds, it's the same. It's responsiveness for me. Like the how fast the app starts and stuff. It could just be my storage. I think the SSD on my on my iMac is a little slower than the SSD on the uh, on the M1. That would make a lot of sense. The storage stuff is great. An integrated RAM, fantastic. Except I don't know if you've seen this. Um, a lot of people have been having issues with SSD health on uh, M1 Max. I saw that. Yeah, I've used. Um, so I think the full. The full read write on I think my MacBook Pro because I have one terabyte is like five hundred terabytes maybe a, uh, I think it's about five hundred terabytes read write. I've already done twenty or thirty terabytes as of two months ago. Wow! And that's after two months of having it. So let's say I'll hit. Do you use it every day? Maybe two hours a day. Wow! Not much because I have a full desktop I use my iMac. So my desktop I've had for about a year. My um. M1 Mac has already done three times the read-write as my desktop, which I use far more often. Interesting. And that's adding up the four hard drives I have. How do you check for that? Um, there's, uh, if you just Google it, there's a few things. You have to install Homebrew and then run a command. Because Apple doesn't use Smart, they use their own proprietary stuff, right. so you need a custom yep. script that can read it. Or you can check in um, Activity Manager. Okay. It, can, it gives check. you full uh, byte count instead of just a nice, easy-to-read one. Okay. Well, I'll take a look. Because of COVID, like I bought my MacBook Air, you know, M1 when it came out and I haven't really been doing a lot of travel for work and stuff. I basically bought it to replace my 12-inch MacBook, the really super thin and slim one. I had the original, five years old, okay. it's still kicking. And so I'm waiting to travel again and go back out there to really use it. So it's not getting much use. It's uh, I use it once a week or so for a, little, a few hours and uh, make sure the battery's healthy and that's it. So, but look, back to the iMac M1 24-inch. I am waiting for Apple to make a 27-inch. I know it's not going to be necessarily as funky and colorful and iconic, I kind of, in a way, want them to make it as iconic and colorful and then have an iMac Pro that's even more specific to the Pro people. Because for me, 24 inches is too small going back down from 27. But that's why I didn't order one. I was so close to ordering one. But I'm waiting for a 27 or 30 inch or whatever, an updated bigger size version of the iMac with whatever M chip is in it and hopefully in some funky, fun design. That's what I'm waiting for. I want, I honestly, I am fine with 24 inches because I plan, I, again, I'm go to college. I'm going to bring this and use this as a computer at school uh, with a MacBook right. Pro and a Windows laptop. I want a MacBook Pro with fun colors that is more powerful, like 12, 16 core CPU instead. Because I you want a 16 inch MacBook Pro or 14 inch MacBook Pro? No, I want 14. I can't okay. stand large laptops. I have a um, Surface Laptop 4 15 inch that I'm reviewing uh, for AP. Uh, it's good. I like it. A little too big for me. The Huawei MateBook yeah. X Pro 14 inch was the best size laptop I've ever used. Yeah, it was a good one. I like the Huawei MateBooks a lot. So I want 14 inch laptops. 13, little too small. 15, little too big. 14 is the perfect middle ground. There you go. So yeah, and as you said, iPad Pro M1, I could care less. Here, here's the thing. I wanna, I don't want to completely dismiss it. As I said when they announced this, it was really interesting to me that they decided to go M1 on the iPad. I think that the the micro LED display is also really interesting, and from the reviews, it seems to be absolutely amazing. Mini LED is going to be huge. I like that a lot. Yeah, the mini LED stuff is is solid, but to me, what kills the iPad and always has 
I know Apple wants it to be a real computer, but it's not a real computer today. No. And, and I can't use it for that. That's fine. Like, I think it's- I would buy an iPad if- iPad Air. If, if I wasn't so me, I'd get an Air. No, I would buy a Chromebook any day of the week before I'd buy an iPad for the kind of work that I'm thinking I might be using it for. I wouldn't. Most people I know with iPads use them as secondary devices. They'll have a Mac laptop and then an iPad. And that's fine. Exactly. It's not a primary device. It should not be considered a primary device. And if you're going to consider it a primary device, you're probably in like school or something. And that's fine. But it's fine for that. Anything outside of that, no. I agree. But I also know some people use an iPad as a primary device, including journalists like Harry McCracken. I know people that do it too. I don't know how they do it, but I know they do it. I mean, it just blows my mind. So I think we can't deny the reality that there are people using iPads as a primary device. But I think you're right. It's primarily used as a secondary device. And for me, if I look at secondary devices in my life, if I'm not on a Mac primary device or on a Pixel or on a OnePlus primary device, I am on a Chromebook of some kind. Usually. I hate Chrome OS. Otherwise, I would probably be like that too. Pixelbook Go or the the little Lenovo tablet that uh, MediaTek sent us. That thing is amazing. I didn't get one of those. They are sending me some nice audio products though. I'm expecting those soon. Yeah, they said they were going to send me those as well. So I'm looking forward to some uh, good, tasty MediaTek audio devices. It'll be nice. It'll be nice. Listen, Max, we should wrap up. Do you want to tell folks where they can find you on the internet, your various social media handles? So uh, on Twitter, uh, the way you spell my username is a little different than my name. So if you just search Max Weinbach on Twitter, you'll find me. On Instagram, it's mweinbach. Um, I will be uh, Android Police. I'm up there every once in a while, probably like two or three times a month with my articles. You can find me there. And then I'm starting a YouTube channel at some point this summer, uh, which is just my name again. So it's Max Weinbach. Fantastic. Yeah, I like the creative spelling of your uh, Twitter handle. It's fun. My normal one was taken. Yeah, I know. That's what happens to a lot of us. And folks, you know where to find me on the internet. I'm at Tankgirl. That's T-N-K-G-R-L, like the comic book character without the vowels. I'm on Twitter and Instagram with that handle. If you want to discuss this podcast with me and Max, please hit us up on Twitter. You know, send us your thoughts. And then if you want to see pretty pictures of phones and pretty pictures taken with phones, check out my Instagram. There's lots of good stuff there. You know that there are two YouTube channels you should look into that are kind of complement to this podcast. If you want to see visuals, all these products we discuss, like the tough book and stuff, I've got some unboxing videos, sometimes some review videos, and some hands-on videos on my channel. That's youtube.com slash podcast. So check that out. Subscribe, like, tell your friends, all that good stuff. And then we have a secondary channel. Me and my producer have been working on this channel that's going to be more about travel tech and kind of like home automation and anything that we kind of get our hands on that doesn't fit neatly into the main channel. And it's youtube.com slash mobile tech more. Please subscribe. We're looking for subscribers so we can start monetizing. So if you uh, want to subscribe, that'd be great. We have a bunch of content coming up. I'm actually working on a sharp microwave echo-controlled, sharp microwave. So check that out when we have it up. But uh, please subscribe in the meantime. Also, the podcast lives at mobiletechpodcast.com. So please subscribe and tell your friends. There's an RSS feed there. We're on all the big platforms. That's Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Pocket Casts, Spotify. Everywhere you can find good podcasts, you'll find the show. So please subscribe. And you can also rate and review the show, hopefully, in your app. If you want to do that, that would be really great. That helps with discovery. 
Also, big exciting news, I am starting a Patreon. So the Patreon is at patreon.com slash tankgirl, that's T-N-K-G-R-L, so patreon.com slash T-N-K-G-R-L. If you want to support me, go there. I would really appreciate it. One of the perks you get, if you subscribe to the right tier, you get to see the video version of the show pretty much right after it's recorded. Not, you know, a day or two later and audio only. You actually get kind of a raw feed of the video that we recorded with my guest. So check that out. That's one of the perks. Patreon.com slash T-N-K-G-R-L. And there's also a donate button in the show notes. It's a PayPal button. So try that out as well if you don't want to join Patreon. And then uh, finally, I want to thank our sponsor, Audible. Audible.com has been our sponsor for years and they're pretty amazing. If you like books as much as I do and you like reading, but you don't want to use your eyes, you want to use your ears instead. Audible's got you covered. That's what they do. They have an incredible collection of audiobooks. A lot of them are read by the authors, which I really think is great. It really immerses you. You know, you're in for these epic reading by listening sessions, like a real book, basically. You can just uh, listen for an hour or two at a time and then resume. It's kind of great. If you're a delivery driver bringing me all my FedEx and UPS packages and you need to keep your eyes on the road but have something fun to listen to, Audible's got you covered. So consider supporting Audible by supporting us because we have a special deal for you, a 30-day free trial with no strings attached. You get to keep a free book at the end. audibletrial.com slash mobiletech is the URL. That's audibletrial.com slash mobiletech. So please support me by supporting Audible. Consider it. I'd appreciate it. I want to thank Audible again for being a longtime sponsor. And thank you, Max, for being my guest yet again. It was really great to have you on. Yeah, of course. It's a lot of fun. Yeah, I'll have you on again sometime soon for sure. And folks, we'll have another show next week. So stay tuned for that. Until then, cheers, everybody. This has been the Mobile Tech Podcast with Tank Girl, proudly presented by worldpodcasts.com. You can visit us online at mobiletechpodcast.com.